0: The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. So we're finishing up the book of Mark today and next Sunday. It's kind of, you know, it's like graduating, maybe? I don't know. It's, uh, it's kind of weird. Speaking of school, um, I, I hated busy work in school. You know what I'm talking about? For those of you who are teenagers still in school, you know what I mean? Like I was the smart aleck, okay, who that that hated the math teachers who would just give us work just to give us work. At least that was my perspective. Obviously, it wasn't just busy work. But that was my perspective. It's just work to, to show to whoever they answer to that they're actually doing something. And so I'm sitting at the table, you know, solving for letters and numbers and squiggly lines. I'm like, what is this? This is just Busy work—it just would drive me nuts. Well, in as an adult, I—I I don't have—I'm solving for x, you know. um But what I am doing, I find myself daily engaging in a busy work that drives me nuts: picking up my kids' toys. Right? You feel me? Okay. Picking up after my kids. Now, thankfully. Gwen, our, our, she'll be three, actually, on, on a week from today. It's very excited. She, you know, she's old enough now to start you know, picking up, but you know what Drake does? Okay, Drake, 10 months old, he's, he's a cruiser. He'll get over to the toy chest, pull himself up, reach in, pick up a toy, grin at me, and throw it over his shoulder. 10 months old and he's already a little deviant all right so i hate it because i know this is what happens i know that i'm going to go in there i'm going to pick up the toys and two minutes later my work of picking up all the toys is totally futile totally futile because the toys are going to be back on the. you know what i'm talking about mom's dad you know what i'm talking about and so i I hate it it bugs me i wonder why in the world am i even picking them up it's like brushing your teeth while eating an oreo it's like futile it's just it's silly why do that and so two minutes later, the floor is a mess. And, and, and if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just one of those cycles. It just never ends. And, and I think that they're going to outgrow it. But when I talk to parents of teenagers, I, this is what I hear. I hear the mess just gets bigger. It involves, you know, clothing. It involves vehicles. It involves, you know, drunken parties. I mean, it's like, I just like, oh, I can't. I can't. It's just futile trying to clean up after them. The mess just gets bigger. If you work and you do, you know, at your work, you might have a a report that you have to do, but you know that it's not going to get read. You ever been given one of those? Like, you know it's not going to be read. You know that these hours you're going to spend on this report is futile, Because it's just going to sit in somebody's inbox and never even be read. You ever send a long email to somebody and they never respond back, and you're like, man, I spent like an hour typing that email and it didn't even get a response. Just a futile message. If you're in school, college, right? You know how term papers become what night papers because you spent, you know, you've wasted so much of your time you know, of the semester where you should have been working on the paper, but then all of a sudden, it gets the night before, and you know that your professor who has, you know, 100 other students in that class, and they've got five classes, grades are due the next day, you know they're not going to read it. You know they're not going to read it, at least word for word, but yet you have to do it. That futile work. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Today, we're going to meet three ladies as we wrap up the book of Mark, chapter 6, at least Uh, The last time I get to speak in the book of Mark, we're going to meet three ladies who engage in some of the most futile work known to man. And my prayer is that as we see this, we'll actually see that, that it's futile, beyond futile for us to engage in the exact same thing. So I hope our hearts are ready. I hope our minds are set, ready to engage in what God is doing. This is what I want us to do. I want us to actually stand up before we continue. Let's just stand up, and we're going to pray for a minute. I know this is different. Like, what? This isn't normal. Let's just stand up, let's pray for a minute, and then we're going to go right in to Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Father, we just pray again, as we've been praying all morning long, all week long, that your Spirit would guide us into truth, that today we will see the futility of our work and realize that what Jesus has done in His resurrection has brought an end to so many things. So Father, I just pray that Your Spirit would guide us, would lead us. If there's anyone here this morning who does not trust in Jesus as their Savior, I pray this morning they would leave having placed their trust in Him. That, after, after that this morning, this very morning, they would go from being sinner to being saint. Not because of who they are, but because of whose they are. God, we thank you. We worship you. Guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to go straight to chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, or Salome, depending, bought spices. They purchased some some perfume, some spices. They bought them so they might go and anoint him, him being Jesus. Verse 2 says, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying, as they were traveling, they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Okay, so just make sure we're all on the same page. Jesus has been crucified, or he's been, he's, well, first of all, he's ministered for three some years. He's been crucified, he's been buried, and now these three women are going back to the tomb to anoint his body. Now, let's think about the futile efforts that they're about to participate in. They are attempting to cover the stench, and and I apologize if this is a little like, this, but they're they're, they're attempting to cover the stench of Jesus' rotting corpse with spices. Let's think about that. Is that even possible to cover the stench of death with s- smells, of pleasant aroma? Maybe temporarily, sure. But I guarantee you that the stench of death will always prevail. So get this picture. <clears throat> They're walking towards the tomb. They realize that they've got a su- substantial obstacle in the way, right? The, tomb, the, the actual stone. Now, we don't know how big it is, but we'll see in the next verse that Mark just describes that it was very big. So let's make sure we see this picture, these three Jewish women, probably at least one of them is a grandmother, we would say, maybe maybe even two, but they're working, they're, they're walking there to, to labor, probably all day long, to put perfume on Jesus' dead corpse, something that's totally futile in and of itself, but there's this huge rock in the way that's preventing them from even getting to his body. Now, I don't know how strong these women are, right? or how big the rock is, but at the end of chapter 15, we see that these women, at least two of them, saw the stone. So they know what they're up against. They know that they are no match for the stone. They realize how futile it is for them to try to move the stone on their own, All right? Let's let's just make sure we see this, what's happening. These three women, in their weakness and in the futility of trying to move the stone, they realize we can't do that. Think about if it was three men. I know it's not, but Let's, if there's three men walk into the tomb that day, do you think those three men would have realized in humility that that stone would be too heavy for them to live? I see head shaking. No, you're exactly right. I'll tell you exactly what those three men would have done because I'm a guy. Those three guys, this is what they would have done. They would have, on the way, they would have strategized exactly how they were going to roll that stone away. They would develop some sort of scheme using a fulcrum and a lever and some sort of mathematics that Walt didn't come up with uh, and something that they learned on MacGyver. And and they would have got there and, and they would have tried and tried and tried to get the stone to roll away in their own effort. But then realizing they couldn't, they would resort to what? Just brute strength. They'd pull out their back, they'd be laying in their self-pity and not able to walk back to town, and their wives would eventually show up and say, why didn't you just do it the way I told you to do it? Right? I mean, that's what would have happened if it was men, right? And so here's why it wasn't men. This is so awesome. It was these wise women who understand the limitations of their physical strength. That's so important. We're going to come back to that in a minute. These three women understand the limitations of their physical strength. Men men would have been too stubborn to get this. We'll come back to this. Verse four says, and looking up, they, the women, saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So they finally get there and their fear of not being able to move the stone was relieved by the fact the stone was was gone. And Mark explains explains here, it's it's very large. And and again, don't know exactly how big that is, but it's way too big for them to have moved on themselves. So God rolled the stone away And doing, and we read that in the other gospels specifically, but God does this work of rolling away the stone, the stone that the ladies knew was futile to even attempt. But this is strange because they know it's futile to even attempt to try to roll the stone away, but they don't understand the futility of trying to cover the stench of Jesus' rotting corpse with spices. So verse 5 says, entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. And, And again, in other gospels, we know definitely that that's an angel but he's sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed. Now I want us to, again, try to get ourselves into the picture of what's happening here. I love trying to like put my feet in the first century and seeing this thing happen. This word alarmed is kind of alarming, okay? Alarmed. This is probably one of the the biggest understatements that we've come across in the book of Mark. Alarmed. I mean, these three women are carrying spices to anoint jesus's dead corpse again something that's totally futile they're too weak to roll away the stone they get there the stone is gone and there is an angel who has stepped across from the unseen realm into the seen realm sitting in the very spot that at least two of these women in mark in mark 15 saw joseph put jesus's body alarmed i think is quite a bit of an understatement I mean, I'm alarmed at night if the wind blows really heavy and I'm worried about whether or not a shingle is going to fall off the roof, right? I'm alarmed if I get a last-minute call from a volunteer and they're like, hey, I can't show up to serve and we've got to scramble to put some things together. I'm alarmed if I have a hankering for Chick-fil-A and I start driving to Chick-fil-A and I realize that it's a Sunday, right? (laughs) I hate that, right? So so listen, these women are seeing an angel and they see the absence of Jesus, their Lord, his body is gone. This word that Mark used is much more powerful than the English idea of alarmed. The word that Mark literally writes is the idea of they were struck with terror. It's like as if terror itself had become a baseball bat and someone had knocked them upside the head. Terror had struck them and the angel said, do not be alarmed. Same word, do not be struck with terror. Good luck, I mean, there's an angel there. Jesus' body is gone. Terror has, has invaded them. I mean, think what's going through their mind besides a two by four of terror. What's going through their heads? I mean, the gospel of John even tells us that Several of the women run around asking, hey, where did you move his body to? Maybe his body's just moved somewhere else and they're frantically looking for his body and where else they moved him to. So these women are scared, they're struck with terror, but the angel explains why there's no reason to be struck with terror. Look in the rest of verse six. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Let's just stop there for a second. I love that. I love that. Who was crucified? Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was suspended between heaven and earth and suffered on a Roman cross the most agonizing death that had been invented to that point. You are seeking someone who was dead. You are seeking someone whose life you saw drain from his very body. You're seeking the one who gave up his spirit and in so doing saved his people from their sins. You are seeking Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but keep reading, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. He's risen. That which was dead is now alive. That which was lifeless now is full of life. But how can this be? I mean, come on, really? Well, I mean, we're in the 21st century. We know that this is just impossible, completely impossible for something that's dead to become alive. Yes, it is. With man, all things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so he says, like, as evidence, he says, look, look at the place where they laid him. <clears throat> he knew that they wouldn't just believe the word. Hey, he's risen. They said, look, investigate for yourself. And so they saw the place that he used to lie. They saw him being laid there three days earlier, but he is not there. And verse seven, the angel continues to say, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told. You ever been told by somebody? You know this is going, right? told you so, right? Man, I hate that. I hate being said, I told you so. I hate being told, I told you so. But I get told a lot because a lot of times I'm wrong and I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. And so there always comes the opportunity at some point in time, I told you so. Man, these, Jesus told them over and over and over that he was going to die and that three days later he was going to raise from the dead. In the book of Mark, in fact, and they're up on the screen here, in the book of Mark, there were three times that Jesus did this. In, the, in Mark 8, 31, Jesus, uh, Jesus is teaching. He began to teach them, and he said that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and look, after three days, rise again okay that's one time mark nine thirty one, one chapter later for he was teaching his disciples again saying to them the son of man talking about himself is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and when he is killed after three days he will rise okay two times two times not enough apparently so he does it a third time mark chapter 10 verse 33 and 34 see we are going up to jerusalem And the Son of Man will be betrayed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. He gets even more specific as he gets closer. He says they will mock him, they will spit on him, they will flog him and kill him. And we saw all those things happen. And after three days, he will rise. This is not a surprise, but these women... And the disciples, the, the, the male disciples, they, they, they don't see this. They don't believe this. Jesus has told them over and over. And who knows how many other times he talked about this. Mark just records three times. But it's crystal clear that he's going to die and be raised back to life. And the angel says, just as he told you. Told you so. It's going to happen. But no one saw it. And the last verse here, verse 8. They went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were afraid. They were scared. They didn't know what was happening. We've talked throughout the book of Mark about how there's so much irony inside of Mark. Okay, so remember back when Jesus would heal somebody and the power of his, his, of, of who he is, his deity, the fact that he is the Christ would, would be evident. And Jesus would say things like, hey, don't tell anybody. Remember that? Remember those things would happen? What would those guys go off and do? Tell them. Man, they, they couldn't hold it in. They're like, man, I was blind, but now I see. I was lame, but now I walk, right? I, I'm telling people, right? But this time, listen. In the resurrection of Jesus, which was the very vindication of his incarnation, it was the vindication of his ministry, the vindication of his death and of his burial, the biggest thing ever. Paul even says that we preach Christ and even much more his resurrection. So Paul's like, the the the, the cross is important, but even much more important is the resurrection. And so this moment of resurrection, the biggest climax of Jesus's ministry on earth ever, These women don't tell anybody, but they were told to tell people, and they keep silent. There's irony in that. We see a beautiful picture, though, in Acts chapter 2, when they were finally empowered with the Holy Spirit. See that? And now they were bold, and they prayed for boldness and clarity, and the world was turned upside down because of the Spirit of God now indwelt them. But there's another irony that we're going to just camp out on for the rest of our time this morning. This irony is found in this. These three women worked so hard to get to the tomb in order to make Jesus' dead body smell like it was still alive. Yet when they got there, death was not there. In his resurrection, Jesus actually anoints them and all who would believe with real life and real rest now i'm gonna say that again because i know there's a lot this is what we're going to camp out the remaining of our time this morning here's this crazy awesome irony these three women they worked let me, let me really emphasize that word they worked so hard to get to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus to make it smell like it was still alive. Yet when they got there, death was not there. And in Jesus' resurrection, he actually anoints all who would believe in him with real life and real work. And that's our journey marker today. If you're like, what well, journey marker, what's that? This is kind of where we boil everything down into a simple thought. Here's our journey marker today. The resurrection of Jesus brings you real life and real rest. Now, what are we talking about? What do we mean about this, real life and real rest? Well, let's break these two things down, and then we're going to have some more music and we're going to get out of here. Let, let's look at what this means by real life. Jesus' resurrection brings real life. Look, remember these women. These women were there to cover the stench of death. Think about how futile that is. We, we've all smelt at least roadkill if we haven't smelt like legit rotting corpse. But we've all smelt something. It's, it's, how in the world are you ever going to have enough perfume to cover that? It's futile. The only way to cover the stench of death is to remove death. You see that? The only way. It's futile. Any attempt to cover s- the stench of death is futile. It's like a teenage boy with body odor trying to use cologne instead of taking a shower. Right? You laughed because you were were that teenage boy or you dated him, right? So the beautiful irony is that the spices, oh, this is so cool. The beautiful irony is that the spices that they purchased, that they hauled there, that they were going to spend hours rubbing all over Jesus' dead body were never used. They were never used. We got to see how important that is. They were never used. His body never saw decay. All of their work of buying spices and then the painstaking labor of rubbing them all over Jesus' corpse never happened because life replaced death. Rest replaced work. Listen to me. The apostle Paul teaches us in Romans and in Ephesians that because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, we are all born spiritually dead. But here's what we do. Here's what we do. We spend the entirety of our lives trying to make our dead, rotting, spiritual man smell better. We spend our entire lives trying to do things that we think smell good to God and to others. We spend our entire lives trying to avoid things that might make our rotting corpse smell even worse. And so we don't do these things, and we do those things to try to make our rotting, dead man, inner man Smell better. We try and try our whole lives to cover the stench-soaked dead hearts that we're born with, with works that we think will make everything okay. The problem is that the heart, the spiritual man in us, is dead at birth. It's a spiritual corpse, and there is no way to make it alive by trying to make it smell better. You see the futility of that. The need is not for a spiritual perfume of good works and the spiritual spices of improved behavior. That's not what we need. We need life. We need life to replace death. We need the life of Jesus to replace the death that we were born with. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus gives you. The old life it's removed and a new life is given. Listen, a perfected life is given, a life that you can never ever add to to make it better. You can never add to the perfected work of Christ with perfumes of good works and spices of behavior modification to make the life of Christ now in you better. It doesn't work. Paul says in Galatians 2 that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So because Jesus lives, you who believe in him live. So that's what I mean when I say that the resurrection of Jesus gives us real rest. I mean, real life, excuse me, gives us real life. The resurrection of Jesus does not give you now the the responsibility and the need to put more perfume of good works on your dead heart. That's not what it does. The resurrection of Jesus gives you a new heart, a new life. And the very life of Jesus himself is pumping through this new spiritual heart. The resurrection of Jesus gives you new life, real life. But let's look at what I mean by real rest. Rest. So the resurrection of Jesus brings you real life, but it brings you real rest. Remember the three women, okay? So that was, that was our text today, these three women. They had an entire day's worth of work ahead of them. And it, it would have likely, I mean, this was, as soon as the sun came up, they've got these spices in hand, and it probably would have taken them to do a good job all day long to adequately anoint his body. They would have been working, with, they got their lunch pail in one hand and their spices in the other hand. they're there to work all day long. I and mean, they couldn't even get into the tomb without working. There was a stone that separated them from Jesus that had to be rolled away somehow. But God himself, as we saw, rolled away the stone and conquered death with life. So listen, how much work was there for these women to do that day? None, none. There was no work for them to do because God had done the work for them. Now listen, because you now have the perfected life of Christ in you, because you are now in him, there is no more need to strive and strive to present your own life perfect before God. You can never do it. It's futile. You can never do it. If you're like me, you're probably burdened constantly with how displeased God must be because of something you've done. I am mean, bombarded with that often of that I mean, God must be be displeased and, and hate me now because of this thing I've done. But don't you wish that we could just simply rest from that? Don't you just wish that 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 we could experience true shalom, true peace, true rest? I've had people tell me in the last couple of weeks that when they were were uh, younger, they actually experienced rest by walking away from the church, by walking away from religion, by turning their back totally on God and totally on Jesus. Because they were in this cycle, this, this, this like rats in a maze. They were in this cycle of trying their best and being told they got to try harder and harder to make God happy with them. And they could never do it. And there was constant failure. And the, more, the harder and harder they tried, the further and further they felt from God Himself. Wouldn't it be nice to rest from this laborious activity of trying to impress God with our flesh? Wouldn't it be nice to stop trying to spice up our stinky dead heart before Him? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, there's some good news. The good news is that this is the central theme of Jesus' whole message for three years. The central theme of His whole message for three years was stop trying and start trusting. Stop trying to regenerate your dead heart. Stop trying to put spices of good works on this dead, rotting corpse that's in you. Stop trying and start trusting in me. Start trusting in me. In Matthew 11, Jesus actually says this. This is so awesome. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than this. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You know what religion does? Religion is laborious. Religion is heavy. Religion, the idea that you've got to work and work and work to cover up the stench of your dead, decaying heart. That is laborious. And Jesus says, come to me, all you religious. He's talking to the religious crowd here in Matthew 11. All, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Say it louder. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find what? Rest for your souls. Either Jesus is being truthful here or he's lying. Jesus is saying, listen, stop trying. and Start trusting. Come to me. Come to me. When we are in Christ, we are actually at rest. We are at rest from the working of trying to satisfy the Father because the Father is perfectly satisfied with the Son. Listen, this is a message that needs to be declared as loud as we can because we have friends, families, Romans, countrymen. You know, we have people who are working their can off to try to get God happy with them. And Jesus is saying, stop. Stop trying. Start trusting. Take my yoke. Take take me. Because my burden is light. There is rest. I want us to actually go back to the second verse we looked at today. Mark chapter 16, verse 2. Somebody, just, you need to shout out, what does Mark say or this English translation say? When did Jesus raise rise from the dead? I heard it. So Say it louder. First day of the week. Yeah, I mean, we can read, right? The first day of the week. The first day of the week. But does anybody know, all of our Greek scholars out there, does anybody know what Mark literally wrote? Anybody? I didn't until Monday. He literally wrote on the first, listen, of the sabbaths. Now let's let that sink in for a second. Jesus rose from the dead on the first of the sabbaths. And somebody out there tell us, what does sabbath mean? Rest. Rest. Let this sink in, church. Church. Jesus rose from the dead, listen, on the first day of rest to give whomever would believe in him rest for their weary souls. How awesome is that? Rest, true rest. God says that in the Old Testament, he said, you shall rest from all your labor. And now in the new covenant in Christ, we now rest from all our labor. The very resurrection of Jesus from the dead was the first day of rest. This is now rest. There is now rest from the laborious and never-ending task of trying to appease the Father because God the Son has perfectly appeased Him on our behalf. The resurrection of Jesus brings real life. It takes away the death and brings life, but it takes away the work and brings real rest. The resurrection of Jesus brings you real life and real rest. It's yours. It's yours for anyone who would believe. God loved the world so much, we know this verse, that he gave his only begotten son that if you would simply believe in him, you would have eternal life and consequently eternal rest. But we think that that starts when we die. No. The Bible teaches us that knowing God, believing in him, is the beginning of eternal life life. This life, this rest, it doesn't start when you die. It starts when you started trusting in Jesus. When you began trusting in Jesus, this is what happens. The dead heart of stone that Ezekiel 36 talks about is literally rolled away. The dead heart of stone is rolled away and you are given new life. When you begin trusting in Jesus, the very stone tablets of the law, which brought condemnation, were rolled away and you are now given rest for your weary souls. I want you to see this very, very clearly. In the book of Exodus, just after God gave Moses the 10 commandments and the other 603 laws, Moses walks down with these laws, carrying these stone tablets. And the first thing he finds is the people of Israel, israel worshiping a golden calf you guys remember this from you know reading the bible and so um as we had not talked about it before reading the bible uh moses gets ticked off he throws the tablets right he smashes them these are lawbreakers they've broken the very first law of the 613 laws the very first one on the stone tablets the first of the ten commandments the ten commandments were the ones that were written on stone the ten commandments you shall have no other gods before me And, and he and he 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 uh They've broken it. They've violated it. They are lawbreakers. Moses says this. He says, strap a sword to your, your side and go through and slaughter every single person who has broken the law. Slaughter every single person who worshiped this golden calf. Does anybody happen to remember from your studies of Exodus how many people died that day? 3,000 people died that day when the law was given and lawbreakers breakers broke the law, 3,000 died. The law brings death. The stones bring condemnation. Let's fast forward to Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God has descended. Peter gets up and he preaches the good news that Jesus was had died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. And the spirit of life comes and invades people. People are born again for the first time. These are equal lawbreakers. In fact, these people probably were greater lawbreakers because they'd had the law for generations and they still were breaking it. Does anybody know when the spirit of life came, how many people were born again and given life? 3,000. 3,000. The stones of condemnation bring death the Spirit brings life. You are dead in your sins at birth, but in the resurrection of Jesus, you are given life. Paul even says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he says the letters carved in stone brings death, but the Spirit brings life. Listen, guys, the resurrection of Jesus brings you real life and real rest. How he's going to make his way up and we're going to, close out this morning with a couple more worship songs. And as he comes up, I, my prayer for us is just that we, would, that we would see this, that we would see like just like these three women who were there to, to try to get death to smell better. Okay, think how futile that is. We spend so much of our lives trying to get our dead heart to just smell better. But what God has done is he has actually provided a way He's guaranteed away way for anyone who would just believe. Your heart of death becomes a heart that's alive. The stony heart is rolled away and a new life is given. And he removes, he's canceled the written code of the law that was held against us. It was nailed to the tree, Colossians chapter 2. So that instead of working to try to earn it, you are now in the one who has purchased it, Jesus himself. So you have rest, rest for your weary souls. Howie's going to lead us in a couple of songs of response. And the first one, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. It's open the eyes of my heart. I remember seeing this in high school. What an awesome opportunity for us just to worship and ask God to, to open the eyes of my heart so that we can see this, that we can see that now in Christ, because of his resurrection, there is life, there is rest, and it's all him. It's him. It was he that was raised. It was his rest that we now have. He rolls away the stony heart. If we're going to see community groups multiply and see healthy community groups on every single street, of every single block, of every single neighborhood, if we're going to see this, then we as a church have got to believe this good news. We've got to believe that as Jesus sits rested from his work, we now in him sit rested from any work of our own to try to appease the father. If we're going to plant churches throughout our region and and try to transform villages in Guatemala that we're going to be back in this summer, if we're going to try to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth, we have got to understand and believe what the good news really even is. The good news, the gospel is not that he saved you. Now it's your work, it's your turn, your time to work harder to get God more happy with you. That's not the good news. The good news, the gospel is that Jesus has endured the full wrath of God against your sin and God is now satisfied because of the work of Jesus. And by believing in Jesus, you now have life. You now have rest. Man, I've learned so much as we've walked through the book of Mark. I hope you have too. But I can't wait to see where God continues to take us and shape us and mold us. But I can guarantee that you know at least one person. At least one person who's given up on church. They've given up on God. They've given up on Jesus. Because they're tired. They're weary. They're heavy laden. With this religious concept that they've got to work to try to get God to love them. They're weary. You know what? It might even be you. It might even be you. You're tired. You're worn out. Listen, give them, give yourself the good news, the good news that because of the resurrection of Jesus, they now have a life. They now have rest in him. I'm going to pray over us. And if anybody would like to talk, Richard and I will be in the back if you want to talk. but and I just want to give us a time of these next two worship songs to just, to just thank God, to worship Him, to respond, to reflect upon this life, this rest that we now have. Those women <laughs> didn't do anything that day. Every, all their plans were totally canceled. All the labor that they were going to do that day of trying to cover up the stench of death was, was wiped off. The schedule was free. (laughs) Because in Him we have life. In Him we have rest. Father, we thank You for this this morning. We thank You for this this Word. This Word of rest. Hebrews 4 says that the Word of rest is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of rest is what actually divides bone from marrow. It actually separates the inner man from the outer man. And this Word of rest... Is what actually converts sinners to saints. Father, help us to believe in this. Believe in this is so opposite of our human nature, our human flesh, our human drive, which is to try to work harder. God, help us to rest because when we rest, we don't give up. When we rest, we actually see more things happening through us and in our community because it's now Christ who's living through us instead of us in our own willpower trying to do it. Father, if there's anyone here today who has spent their whole life trying to cover their dead heart with good works, spices, fragrance of life, help them to see that it doesn't work. Help them to see that real life, Is found only in Jesus, the one who has replaced death with life. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would be made much of in our church now and for always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.